You're listening to audio from Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you'd like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today, maybe a little bit different style than I usually do. Uh, But one of the verses that I kind of wanted to start off with uh, is in Titus. And then I'm gonna have a, 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 an introduction to describe our, our situation in which we're speaking in today. Uh, but in Titus 3, Titus 3, 8, is a, is a thought that I wanted to kind of put into your mind as we start this, this talk, this um, message, if you would. So Titus 3, 8 says, the saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God, those of us who have believed in God, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That's really these good works, these things, this action, this way of living is, is a thing that is excellent and it is profitable for people. So we're gonna be talking about a, a good church and specifically speaking into this word good and the culture of a church and the culture of, uh, of the places in which we live, the culture of our country. And I've been thinking about that recently as um, you know, people have been talking a lot about how the culture has changed and the culture has been changing and I agree and I wholeheartedly understand. And so as I did uh, last year in our 2020 vision, we talked about uh, the culture of our church, the culture of our community and our nation and how our church should be driving and building an ethos, a, a culture, an environment that fosters love and, and kindness and, and our people should be serving and, and, and seeking to give mercy and kindness and all of these areas uh, in which we're, we're trying to be the body of, of Christ and to reflect God and who he is, and that should be reflected in the culture in which we create. And the word culture is a word that we use a lot and think about, I don't know if we fully understand it all the time, but when you start thinking about what culture is, culture is the customary beliefs, the social forms, the material traits of a social group, uh, the characteristic, uh, the features of everyday existence shared by a people, place, or time, that we share a lot of things together. There's a a, a formed culture that we share. There's a, even words like we use, like pop culture. You know, There's a certain aspect of pop culture today that is unique that uh, maybe 20 years ago, pop culture shared different values then. Or you can think about the culture of the South, you know, Southern culture, you know, sweet tea, right? Grits, you know, this kind of thing, right? You know, uh, that kind of hospitality, that Southern hospitality. And then you can think about like a New Englander kind of culture an individual, like the do-it-yourself kind of a thing, right? And each place, depending on where you live, the people that are in it, the geographic location, often tends to develop a certain kind of culture, a shared uh, set of values, uh, goals, practices that characterizes an institution or an organization. A corporate culture, you've had a job in one place or another, and you know there's a different culture in every job that you have. Uh, Some of it's positive, uh, some of it's negative, some of which you you try to change too much too quickly, and that culture is overturned, and they don't feel comfortable in that culture, that set of values. There's a certain sense of uh, shared goal in which the culture is trying to, this is our aim, this is what we're trying to be, but also these are our characteristics. 
And so today I think we have, as I do have conversations with people very often who are talking about the rapid change of culture over the last year, and then even if you look over the last 10 years, uh, there has been, as we feel technology especially, has almost um, injected the speed as to which culture has rapidly changed and is changing constantly. And some of that is perceived change in which you and I can perceive the change. You know, you're like, well, 20 years ago, we didn't have Facebook or we didn't have cell phones or like when I was in high school, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have the smartphone, right? And some of the kids are like, what, you know? <laughs> but that was like how it was, right? You know, you, you had certain things, you know, people used to read newspapers, you know, and stuff. Now you just go online, right? They, these kinds of things of the rapid shift in things. And so some of it's perceived change, like you can perceive the changes that have happened. And other times, culture is a slow change where it's almost unperceived change and you have to start recognizing how is it that I used to do this and now I think this, or the, the culture has almost, um, uh, through this slow kind of amoeba-like change, how did we get ourselves over here when we used to be over here or one way or another, or just, it just could be positive or negative. I'm just saying it's, a, it's often a slow thing. And, and culture is influenced by literally everyone. Everyone influences culture in one small way. Others have larger platforms to influence the way culture is perceived, uh, but culture can be influenced through media, uh, through social media like today, but even writers and authors in the past, they were often very influential. Um, universities, educators, teachers, churches actually have a great job in influencing culture. Um, legislation, leaders of countries and such uh, ultimately influence culture one way or another and make a big difference, some uh, smaller than others, but we all make a difference. And, and then as we begin to recognize and think through a culture, it's hard sometimes, we don't often think about culture, we just live in it, and then we don't think about the, the, the influence culture has on you, uh, the positive and negative of influence, because we're just in the culture. We live in it, and it is who we are, because we are affected by culture, whether we like to admit it or not. Um, culture influences us and the things we like or don't like, just for example, clothing styles, right? You know, <laughs> you can think some of you are smiling right now because you're thinking back to your teen years and the clothing styles you wore and then I heard someone saying the other, that's now back in, in style now, you know, because it shifts and change culture and all of a sudden that's cool, you know? And so those kinds of things, they, 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 we are influenced by those things there are those almost stereotypes that we think of when we think of certain places and cultures or, or looks or clothing styles that, that, that perceive and, and we can see those changes in culture. Uh, but I've, I've been on a lot of different sport teams and coached different sports teams and each team has its own little culture, either it's a different kind of way of, depending on the coach and their style or the players and the style of what the, the way they play. And, and I think it's important as we think about our church, our people, the Manatnock region, Hope Fellowship Church, what is the culture of this church? This is something we talked about in our 2020 vision, and I think about it very often. Uh, what are the strengths and weaknesses, and what, what, what is it that we're aiming for? What is it that we are trying to embody as a church? And for the majority of us, I would say that uh, that is an important thing. And, and what is the, uh, the culture of our, our country? as we think about our places and our regions and then the places, our jobs that we have influence in. And I would say for the majority of us, we want to influence culture. We want to make a difference. 
we want to have influence over these areas and make a stand. We want, as the people of God, to push back the darkness. We want to stand for the light, right, and the truth. And we, and we want to see the blind see, you know. We want to see sinners saved and come to repentance and see lives changed. We're passionate about creating change in our world both in our churches and our families, our marriages, but even in our country and our communities and our areas, right? We want to see that. And, and there's been times in which we feel as if that's happening more than others. And the question often remains though, how is it that we, we go about influencing that change? How is it that we go about really truly making a difference, you could say? I mean, sometimes we can think of times when those are more successful than others, and, and uh, there's even a time period in history where historians are now calling it the great uh, evangelical culture wars, as you would say, where almost the church waged war on culture, sometimes in a positive way, other times in a negative, but you can think about those are times where we can envision ourselves resisting the evil, pushing back, or what happened often throughout history when you look is different groups would be uh, separate and withdraw and pull back from the culture and isolate themselves from everything else going on. And does that make a difference or how does that help? And I guess I'm not even trying to say what to do, I'm just trying to get us to think through different times in which we've been growing up and different things in which we've been living in and what that is like. And I think sometimes what I sense is even in my own life when I uh, watch the news or I'm frustrated with ways certain things are going or the culture is doing this or the culture is doing that and I'll find myself getting frustrated and angry and I, I imagine some of you could be there, you'd raise your hand, amen, I know what that is like. Uh, and the way that I think in my head, well what we need to do is fill in the blank. And I think many times those are good things, you know, being involved in politics and legislation or being involved in this or that. I think those are important, but I think sometimes what I sense in my own heart is, is that when I see or want to make a difference, and then I see, say, maybe somebody on another side wanting to make a difference, and the way we're trying to make a difference often seems to be like the same way. You know, we, we all react on Facebook or we do this or that or we get angry over this or angry over that. And then we might be angry about different things, but we're all doing it the same way. We're all being angry, we're all being frustrated, and we're all getting anxious. And my question would be is, what difference is that really making in the world? You know, when, when all our only reaction is to just get welled up and frustrated and angry about something, I'm not really sure if that really makes much of a difference. And so I'm not saying even those emotions are wrong. What I'm saying is what is it that we're supposed to be doing as a church? How is it that we can make a difference in the world and in the culture for our children and the future tomorrow? How do we make a difference? The Bible lays this out in very many different ways, but I think for the followers of Jesus, I don't think we're supposed to fight the fire with fire. Does that make sense? The Bible says in Romans 12, don't overcome evil with evil, <laughs> but overcome evil with good. Don't overcome evil by evil, but overcome it with good. And I don't even know exactly what I'm pressing into, but what I'm pressing in is in my own heart of what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? What do I want to see? And how is it that I want to see the church accomplish that? And the way I want to see that be accomplished is embodied in one little word. It's a word my eyes have been awakened to over the last couple of months. It's a word called tov. 
And you're like, I don't know that word. But if you're finding that word weird, there, there's a uh, interesting book that I read. It's called A Church Called Tov. And it's uh, a Hebrew word for good is tov, T-O-V. Resisting, uh, I think the, the subtitle is something about resisting a culture of abuse um, by creating and fostering a culture of goodness. And if you think that's kind of a weird title, my, I was talking to my wife the other day about the title, and uh, she was trying to nurse Judson, and Taylor was running through the room singing a Frozen song or something, and that's when I try to break into deep theological conversations with my wife. It's, you ever have that issue? Why are you not listening to me right now? It's like, Wah! you know, you're trying to, but I said, hey, hon, I've been reading a book called uh, A Church Called Tove, and she said, A Church Called Toad? You know, and my daughter thought that was kind of funny. A Church Called Toad? And I'm like, no, not Toad, Tove. And it's T-O-V, it's a Hebrew word. And uh, anyways, the book was challenging and uh, it's very thought provoking. But it it creates this idea and this concept in my heart where I started studying and looking to this word, T-O-V, very simple, it's the word good in Hebrew, that's it, goodness, good. It's a basic concept. So today's message in some sense is very simple, it's very basic, and yet I find uh, the most simple basic things are, are the most profound. Or today, we often see very complicated situations. You look at the news, there's a lot of complicated situations, and what I have found is that complicated situations do not always necessitate complicated solutions. Uh, Often, they're very simple. And it's, I think, a, a desire to foster goodness and pursue good works as the body of Christ. I think that is where we make the most difference in our communities, in our families, in our marriages. And so when we look at God's word, what I wanna do is just examine where this word is found in different places in the Old Testament. And then I'm gonna share a passages from Titus that we're gonna look at as well. And then we'll be, we'll be done for today. What I wanna look at is this word tov from the Old Testament. Now, many of you know, knew this word already. You just didn't know it. Um, if you have ever been around, in fact, I had someone say to me the other day, um, when my baby was born, they said in our culture, they're Jewish, they said uh, that we say mazel tov, mazel tov. Have you ever heard of that phrase, mazel tov? Uh, mazel tov or is mazel tov, depending on how you pronounce T-O-V. It is ultimately a way in Yiddish to be saying good luck or good blessings, blessings on you. And the word T-O-V, mazel tov, T-O-V, is really good blessings, good luck to you, uh, uh, wishful blessings on your life, you know, mazel tov. And so we have heard that many different places, but that comes from the Hebrew word T-O-V. Good, the very first time we see this word is on the very first page of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 1-3 says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, the light was tov, it is good, he says. And God separated the light from the darkness. Genesis 1.10, later on, and God saw that all it was good, that all he had made. And Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very tov, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. We find in Genesis, I think maybe more than any other book outside of Psalms, the word tov is found over and over, that it was good, it was good. And I think it was Greg up here who recently said, well, this in the aspect is where it is not tov, he said, right? Anything he was saying, he said, it is not good that man should be alone, and so God gives us companions, whether that is a, in marriage or whether that is, is a church, there's this companionship of togetherness that we're in here together, that it is not good that you do life alone. That is not tov. 
Yet what is tov is companionship and coming together and what God makes, male and female, is tov. And so Psalms is, is a passage. You just start reading through the Psalms and you will find good and goodness over and over and over on the pages of scripture as, as the psalmists are often writing and praising God for his goodness. I'm gonna read a few for them, of, of them for you today. Uh, Psalm 106 says, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The same is found in Psalm 107, one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is tov, he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the trouble. Let us praise him in these things. We know of a very famous passage. We often use this passage around uh, Thanksgiving time. Psalm 100, as a kid, in Christian school, I always had to memorize Psalm 100. Psalm 100, verse five, for the Lord is good. He's good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. It is often these very um, simple passages that speak the most needed encouragement to our hearts. That when life does not feel good and, and the things that we're experiencing don't seem good, we must rely and fall back on the goodness of God. And I love singing that song. We didn't sing it today, but maybe we'll cue it up next week. But this idea of the goodness of God, right? The goodness of God. And there's other passages I can read in Psalm uh, 136. Psalm 136. Psalm 136, one. Again, almost this aspect of repetition in this passage. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. This aspect that God is good and his goodness is received or benefited or we find beneficial to us because he is steadfast in his love. So we experience God's goodness through his love. God is good, great. What does that mean? He's loving, he's merciful. He's kind, he is tov, and that is all that God is. It is all that he is and who he is in his future and and who he is in the present and who he has been in the past. He is tov. Uh, Jeremiah, we see throughout the scripture, the Old Testament, uh, in Jeremiah we see passages that my people will be satisfied with my goodness. I found a passage that I found most striking in the book of Amos, uh, book of Amos is not a, a book we maybe read very often, but a passage of scripture that uh, the people of Israel have not been living out and embodied a, 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 the a culture of goodness. They've been disobeying God. They've been worshiping other idols. They've been uh, committing atrocities against the God Yahweh. And so Amos is encouraging them to turn or judgment will come. And so he's challenging them, seek the Lord and live. And he says that over and over, and then he says in verse 14, seek good and not evil, that you may live. So be the Lord, God of hosts, be with you as he has said, verse 15, hate evil and love good. I love that. In fact, we read from Romans 12, Romans 12 talks about, I think it's verse two, abhor evil and hold fast to the good. And so this is hate, evil, love, good, and establish justice in the gate. This is part of God's character, his nature, and who he is in, in Amos. And then a passage some of you are probably more familiar with is in, is in Micah chapter six. 
Micah chapter six, verse eight is one where we're very common. I, I've seen t-shirts made out of this verse and all a variety of things and something we're often very aware of. I often skip over the beginning of the verse though. This is what does the Lord require of you but to uh, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. And so the very beginning of this verse in Micah six, eight says, he has told you, O man, what is tov? What is good? He's told you what is good. You wanna know what good looks like and what it is? You wanna know what you're supposed to be doing with your life and what you're supposed to be embodying in your relationships and in your people and in your families? You, he has told you what it is. What is it? What does that Lord require of you to embody goodness? But rather, what you, sh- but what you should be doing is to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. What an encouraging powerful verse that it really gives us almost a a step-by-step process of living out the goodness that God pours out on our lives. For surely, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is a verse and a passage and a thought that I think is in some ways related to a word we talk about pretty often here at Hope, the word shalom, this peace, and yet this wholeness that we so long for it is similar to this good, that it is not just having a good day, but it is a deeper sense of deeper rooted, authentic goodness, that there is a purity in the goodness there, a thing that we long for. So that is this Old Testament sense of goodness that is rooted in the very character and nature of God's goodness, that he is God. We also see in the New Testament, good is used in a variety of places. I'm not gonna go through every one, but this idea of the Greek words are uh, kalos and agathos. They're two different words kind of describing the same idea. Like we said earlier, abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. Uh, Overcome evil with good. And so this idea of rooted, into God's goodness is perceived and received by us when God gives us and he forgives us, that God is giving God. This is how he experiences goodness, like I said, through love and these things. But when God blesses us with, uh, as, as I forget the passage where it says that all good things come from the Father of lights, right? This idea, I think it is, right? All good things, these, these gifts, right? This blessings, these, um, these good gifts that are given to us. God blesses his people richly, does he not? We are experiencing the blessings of God. We walk in them every day, and so often we take them for granted, the breath in our lungs that we have, this blessing and the life that he has imbued with us, and the joy and the happiness and the fun we get to experience in this life. Having fun is not bad. In fact, that's a, that's a way to glorify God is enjoying the life that God has given you. And so this idea of experiencing those things is a way of glorifying God and praising him for his goodness. He's good. Psalm 145, nine, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made. And then we experience as the people of God living under the New Testament covenant, we experience as people of God the very Holy Spirit that lives within us and encourages and almost in a sense pulls out or, or waters and cultivates within our hearts the very fruit of the Spirit that when you walk in the Spirit, you will display one of the fruits of the Spirit, which is goodness. Kindness, gentleness, mercy, you know, all those fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, but one of them is goodness, that we would be good, that we would show goodness. And so it is so important that I think that we, we seek to, as a church, as a people, to overcome evil with good. I believe that we are, as the church, most responsible for creating a culture of goodness that resists evil. 
that, that resists abuses, that resists um, this, this sinful attitude of, of, of covering and, and restricting people, this concept, right? That, that we fight the evil, we do. We stand against it. We, we tell the truth. We stand for what's right and what's truth. But we do it with the good news of Jesus and doing it in a good way, and that is so important. And I, I'm convicted of this constantly. And so we don't do this alone. And I even can sense in my own heart as I'm saying this, and maybe some of you as well, who come and we are from a Protestant background, and we come and this word good can even be a, um, a hard thing, right? We don't even like mentioning good works because we feel as if we're trying to use those works to gain the ladder to heaven, right? Like I even sense that in this room, like I'm talking about good works. And you're like, oh, don't talk about too much, right? You know, <laughs> this idea of where we have this hesitancy for Romans 3 speaks about how no one is good, no one does, go- does good, no, not one. No one is righteous, no, not one, right? And we know apart from Christ, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We know that sin is something the church needs to talk about, but we don't speak about sin without speaking about grace, right? That's the whole beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we repent from our sins and we walk as new creations in Christ living in light of his grace and in his mercy. This is all of what Ephesians 2 says. And you're like, you're reading a lot of passages today, Pastor. Well, I hope you don't mind. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Uh, If you want, you can read with me. I don't know if the booth will have it or not. I don't know if I shared it with them. But Ephesians 2, we're gonna start in verse four, and then I'm gonna run to Titus after this, and we're gonna look at some closing passages and be done. But Ephesians 2 is a very, very well-known passage. It speaks into the beginning uh, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, that's verse one. And then we were, we were children of wrath, right? And yet, verse four says, but God, being rich in mercy, that is a, a true embodiment of grace and his goodness, is he is rich in mercy. Because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace or his kindness or his goodness towards us in Christ Jesus. And verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, amen. And this is not of your doing, right? It's not of your good works or how you deserved this but rather it's through his gift. It is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that I've done, so that anyone would boast. And then get this, this is where we're bringing this home to today's message, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are being worked on by Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look, you're not saved with this get out of jail free card to just then willy nilly do what you want. The whole point of salvation, the whole point of God's grace and mercy is to now give him glory with your life and to reflect like a mirror the very glory of God through the goodness that he is working within you. And so now we live for good works, for good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are new creations in Christ for Tov. I guess you could say for goodness sake, <laughs> right? Isn't that the concept here? For we often struggle to find our mission in life. I know what that's like. Maybe some of you young people, I've even had conversations with you. I was like, I don't know what I feel I'm supposed to do with my life. 
Sometimes we often want to know that. We want this guy to open up and tell us what job, uh, who to marry, who not to marry, right? All these situations, and sometimes life can be very confusing. And yet, sometimes I think it, life is not as necessarily, I guess you could say, as narrow as I think we try to make it, that there's one little uh, kind of uh, slack line that we're supposed to walk on in life, and if we fall off that slack line, we're doomed, okay? I think the concept of life and following God's will is a lot simpler. It, it's really pursuing tov, it's pursuing God's goodness in your life and all that you do and every decision and every relationship you have is trying to embody goodness in that life and in that decision and in that walk. And when you pursue the goodness, surely goodness and mercy will follow you for the rest of your life, right? And I think in many of the adults would say in like manner that there's not always a, a choice A or B. And if you pick the wrong door, whoopsies, you know. Rather, are you pursuing God? Are you seeking to live in his grace walk in his light and do good works to glorify your Father in heaven, not to get to heaven, but because you have been saved, we want to respond with our works of goodness. And So I think what I'm saying as a whole is this concept that we see in Titus, a short little book of Titus, um, maybe, maybe a passage or a, a book, maybe we don't look at very often. It's three short chapters. I'm not gonna read the whole book. I'm, I'm really just gonna reference a few of the verses as I think it embodies what Paul is trying to teach. He's teaching a young man of Titus and he's trying to teach a church uh, that, is, that is in need of building a resistance movement to evil. He is speaking to a people in the island of Crete that is known for its debauchery. It is known for its anti-godness, you could say. It's anti-goodness. That is what the culture Titus was living in was like. It was uh, horrendous. We can see even from archeological evidence of the studies in the places in Crete um, of what they were up against. And they're trying to plant churches on Crete. And he is developing him, that, that he's trying to teach him that the people that are believed, the people who are walking, they ought to be pursuing and devoted to good works so that others in the area would see the goodness of God in their lives. They would see the unity between one another. They would see the love that they have for truth and sound doctrine and the kindness and mercy and forgiveness they display to one another that this would create and foster a culture, an environment that, that is conducive for goodness and inconducive to evil and sin and wrongdoing and, heart and those, the evils of this world. That in that manner, that as we build a resistance movement by cultivating a garden of Tov, that that would build in such a way these walls and resist the evil and the, the wrong and the bad of the world that then we would create and culture-wise create a people of love and good works, a church of goodness, a church devoted to good works. And so in Titus 2, 14, the passage says a people Verse two, chapter two, verse 14, it says that, that as this blessed hope has come in, we are waiting for this. And then in 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. We aren't saved for lawlessness, but for good works. Says, he redeems us from lawlessness to purify himself of people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you zealous for that? Are you zealous for good works? Is our church zealous for good works? And Titus 3, 1, remind them to be dismissive and, uh, to rulers and authorities and to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. That, that we are people ready and eager and zealous for good works. That we are saved from lawlessness to display the goodness of God in our lives. And Titus 3, verse 4, I love this one. 
Some of yours might have a little different translation, but in chapter three, verse four, it says, but when the goodness, or the kindness, maybe yours says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, Jesus appears, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in our righteousness, but according to his goodness and mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's an amazing passage and it keeps going talking in verse eight, the one we read earlier, that this is our hope of eternal life, Titus 3, eight, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed, is that you? Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then he reiterates it again in verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need. Wow. I guess that's in a, in a sense embodied what I desire for my life and for my marriage and my family and for this church. I desire a people and that's what I, I would say. That is what I get to experience on a weekly basis as I see people operating out of the Spirit's overflow and working goodness into the culture and the places that they have influence on. That's all we're asking. Like, I wanna change the world. Start simply by changing the environment in which you work, the environment in which you live. Change that by cultivating and planting seeds of goodness that will grow and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives, right? That is what we desire. Sure, I want more people in this service. I want more people reached. I want the culture of the Monadnock region to be radically changed and a massive revival to happen. But I believe that often that happens over time at times, yet God can work in miracles in ways, right? But often we see that a culture of people coming together and loving each other, for they shall know us by the love that we have for one another, by the unity of our spirit. That is what people notice. The Chosen series says, if you've been watching The Chosen, uh, be different. It says, get used to different. And I think that is a very different way to live. It's a very different way to live that we do. We see what's wrong with the world and how we desire to change it. But we don't use the world's ways and the world's means to change it because that won't make a difference. What makes a difference is planting seeds of tov and goodness and, and cultivating an environment of love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness that spreads the light of the gospel to places we never even knew possible, to people we never even thought possible in this area and around the world. And that is a church that I desire and I see and I'm excited about because I get to, in one small way, try to help lead this as I often don't know what I'm doing, but we do our best to just simply do what God called us to do and where he's called you to be and to do what? To do good works. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the mission that you have placed on us to spread, really, to do good works, as I said, God, I guess, but to spread the good news, the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, that you have rescued us, you have redeemed us, and we are free in your spirit. And so, Father, we, we come and we ask, God, that you would allow us to grow in this as a church as we are growing together and encouraging one another, as, Lord, you've already encouraged us to bear one another's burdens today. Thank you, Father, for so many who are in this place hungry, thirsty, 
and we are desiring to grow, our hearts are longing and they want to see change and growth happen. And so God, give us the spirit that desires this, that buckles down and pushes deep into it, Lord, that we would see change in our lives and in our communities. God, we desire for your goodness to be present here, to be a powerful agent in our community and our area. And God, that your spirit would change us <laughs> and that it would empower us and fill us to go from this place. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. And we, we today just seek to, be, to, to glorify you with our lives. And we praise you. We sing your praises today. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>